after I'd visiting, had finished visiting a patient there, I went to their dining room, and I liked their dining room there because uh, uh, it's quite comfortable, round tables and chairs, and, and prices are about half of what you'd pay at a regular restaurant, and they use uh, naturally grown things, and uh, they don't serve any pork, and, you know, and I, I like that. And I was drawn to a couple that were sitting at a table on the far side of the room. And um, so I just walked over and started talking to them. And it turned out that the, the lady had a Seventh-day Adventist background. And her two of her brothers are Seventh-day Adventist ministers. And the brother there had uh, been told recently to that date that he had about maybe 30, 60, 90 days to live, he had lung cancer. And uh, they had removed the cancerous lung, and he was under terrible condemnation from the enemy for not trusting God for healing. And I was able to share a little bit with him. And, and, uh, and so anyway, it was, it was kind of a rich fellowship there a little while with this couple. And... Uh, so a year later, I was back in the hospital, and I saw this brother walking down the hallway. And so I ran him down, and we visited for a while. And, and he'd said earlier that year, they'd had an experience in which uh, after they came home from church, and his wife was the worship leader there. She played the piano. They just spent time worshiping the Lord in their living room. And he said, it seemed like a cloud began to form in the living room there. And he said he smelled a fragrance that was so special. And anyway, when they'd finished worship, they checked the time. They had been in worship for five hours. Okay, so roll the clock forward another year. I see the brother again. And he mentioned that between the time we'd last seen him and this time, that uh, he'd had one of those death experiences, near death. He dreamed that uh, now he's down to only one lung and it filled with toxic liquid and uh, he was dying. And in the room, he said it seemed like his spirit floated to the top of the room. He looked down and he could see his body below. It seemed like he went through a tunnel and... Uh, and he found himself there with a great tall wall between him and there was a person, a presence, right in front of him that said, you can't come in yet. It's not time yet. And uh, he said he smelt the same fragrance that he smelt from the five-hour worship time in their home. So he felt like it was the Lord. The Lord said, you can't come ten yet, but you need to warn my people about two things. One is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is the sin that doesn't seem like a sin because we have honestly been offended. We've been mishandled. We've been abused. We've been lied about. We've been cheated. And we have a right to feel anger. But when we feel that way, what we're really saying is, God won't deal with them. God's going to ignore it. 
God won't spank them as hard as I think they ought to be spanked. What we're really doing is putting our places in the place of God and saying, I need to handle this. And the Lord says, in effect, okay, I will back out and let you handle it. And you'll find out it doesn't work very good. And uh, so then, uh, unforgiveness. Let it go. Let the nor you know, there was some years ago a, a little magazine designed for people of color. It was called Ebony. And they had an article in the magazine about uh, an interview with a black doctor in the South. And a lot of his patients were white. And so they asked him, said, well, do your patients uh, fail to pay their bills sometime? He says, yeah. Do they lie about you? Do they mistreat you? They this, they say, yeah, they do all of that. What do you do about it? He said, well, I just, I tell God on them, name and address. And to be honest, if you've got a hurt and offense, turn it over to God. And then one of the things I'm so obsessed with lately is it's better that we are honest with God than always trying to be nice. If you're hurting, you feel like the Lord is, you know, not supporting you or this or that, be honest with him. There's a chapter in the book of Jeremiah in which Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm not going to preach for you anymore. Because he said, I feel like you've let me down. You don't support me. I won't preach for you anymore. But then Jeremiah adds, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. He said, I had fire in the belly and I couldn't quit. And that's true of you, Brother Josh. And I'm not trying to predict anything negative or bad. I'm just saying uh, a fire in the belly. And I noticed that as you just read a few scriptures for Sabbath morning. Well, uh, I noticed today more of them came in the nature of things you were impressed with and things you wanted to share. And I can tell you that things that start small, if God is in them, they're going to turn out big. Have, have you read about the pioneer woman mercantile in Pahaska? Yes. It's been in the paper quite a bit. So we've had some company this week, and we tried to, decided on Thursday to go check it out for ourselves. And I can tell you that the waiting line to get into their restaurant and, and eat was three blocks long. I think a person has to be insane to wait three blocks to eat there are other restaurants. And then my wife and a couple of the others in the group were waiting to get in just to look at the store. And, uh, and then if three people would leave the store, then they'd let three people in. And so they got in, and, they, and my wife said, uh, you know, she was so impressed with this lady that is a blogger that's responsible for the uh, the whole thing there. And she said, I went in and I saw how pricey everything was. He, she said, instead of this lady being one of my heroes, I began to resent her. And anyway, uh, it was quite an experience. The little town has about 3,600 people in it. The whole, the whole county of Osage County only has 15,000. I've never seen a... Uh, a little town of 3,500 people before that has as many high-rise tall buildings 
When I say high-rise, I mean like five and six stories tall. I don't mean 10 and 20. But it's just an amazing place. And, of course, from there we went to the tall grass prairie and got to see some buffalo. And when we got home, I was tired. One day I said to my wife when I came back, I said, I'm tarred. She said, you ought to be glad you're not tarred and feathered. Anyway, I'm going to get on with the message here. And uh, I'm aware that uh, that ice-cold water is wonderful. So I shared that about Brother Kenneth N.N. After five or six years, he did pass away. He was a friend. I'm sorry to lose him. But he, his witness, his, his widow told me that at the funeral, which was a little, I don't know, hundreds of people showed up for it. There were so many testimonies of people that Ken had shared with them. What an impact he'd made on their lives. I thought how precious that was. A man being dead yet speaketh. And uh, I didn't have this written down. But one Bible verse says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And I meet people all the time and say, Well, my folks were not very honorable. Well, but they gave you life. And to be honest, they would be so proud of you if the life that you live would honor them. And you're not going to be able to live the life you should be, should, without the indwelling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus comes in and changes you. And so of the several basic scriptures that we need to focus on, one is, of course, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. By grace are you saved through faith. And in all the circles I meet, well, like I know one lady, she says, well, you know, God just forgives everything that you do wrong. But in context, he's talking about you are his workmanship. You're not your own. I know in some religious circles they've said, and even Sabbath keeping, they've said, well, you know, you need to get your life cleaned up and then ask the Lord to save you. Well, I will tell you, you'll never be able to do it without his indwelling presence. Let him do the cleaning. You might find he'll do a better job of it and you won't wind up with egg on your face. We see through a glass darkly. The glass is talking about a mirror. You know, it doesn't always show us things real good. I'll get it here together in a moment. Just pray for me. When you are doing 100% of your level best, when sometimes you're trying so hard that you feel maxed out, and somebody comes and then begins to criticize you about something in your life, if you're already maxed out, the tendency in the natural is to resent them because you're already operating at 110%. But sometimes what they share is really true. It might be a very petty little thing compared to all the good things you're doing. On a human level, we need to... uh, 
follow 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when it talks about love. And it says, love thinketh no evil or gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. And, um, boy, that water is wonderful. Then I want to share a couple other scriptures. Twice in James, James speaks to people who are double-minded. The Greek word is disukos. Di meaning two, sukos meaning souls, two souls. And uh, I'm reminded in another place, the Lord, a man brought his son to the Lord, asked the disciples to heal the son. And the son was demonized, and the demons in him were trying to destroy him. And, uh, and finally, he you know, went over the head of the disciples to the Lord himself. Lord, you know, the disciples weren't able to heal my son. And Jesus said to him, well, do you think that I can? And the man broke down in tears and said, yes, Lord, I believe you can. Help thou mine unbelief. Two souls, belief, unbelief. In the context of that, Jesus said, but this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. What kind? The demons or the unbelief? In fasting, of course, the devil will say to you, do you really think God's going to hear better if you go without eating? You say, well, how do you know the devil will say that? Well, because that's what he said to me at times when I fasted. And I noticed that uh, he really doesn't need new tricks because the old ones work. And uh, actually, uh, what we're really saying in fasting is, uh, I want to bubble wash for my, that other soul, that second mind, that unbelief. I want it cleansed. In fact, it'll say in one place in James, cleanse, cleanse, cleanse. So then, when uh, if love thinketh no evil gives the other person the benefit of the doubt, when it comes to another person and you are compelled to love them, even if they may not be lovable um, or likable or whatever, is there anything good you can say about the person? Is there anything? Can you store in your mind about them? Uh, positive things. Can you do that? Uh, there's so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us, it hardly behooves us to, you know, think bad about the worst others. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You might want to write that down. What you store up in that other soul, that other mind, all the negative things, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, they are going to blurt out at times when you wish they hadn't of, when you regret them, when you'd like to recall them. And that's true in husband and wife situations. In fact, as we get older, I notice the temptation and tendency is for older husbands and wives to be more picky. You say, how do you know that? 
from personal experience, from personal counseling, from personal seeing what older seniors do. And, uh, you know, when they're upset and there's a conflict, then the negative things that they've stored up there are what blurt out. They tumble out. So then, Brother Wilbur, what you need to do is to cleanse thoughts. Get them out of your mind. How do you do that? Let me share something with you here. We are we think in terms of oh, doing our best. God thinks in terms of changing us, making us new. On a human level, we spend a whole life as we're sinner and sinners in learning how to cope with life. What you do when people treat you bad? How do you get along in life? And almost none of that is a valid is valid in the kingdom of God. God turns everything upside down in the kingdom of God. One Bible verse says, love your enemies, and says, hate your relatives. Hate your relatives. Well, I've paraphrased it a little bit, but it could imply that. Somebody said, that's a crazy religion. Hate in the Bible is used in a sense of to like less. Something that you something else you prefer. You, you prefer this, you hate that. The Bible says God hated, who was it he hated? Esau. Esau, yeah. Did that mean that he wanted to kill him, destroy him? No, it meant that he preferred Esau's brother over, uh, over Esau. He'd chosen the one. and So then, if you focus on bad habits... If you focus on what you're not going to do, if you focus on what you don't want to do, that is exactly what you will do. Because that's where your focus is. I'm sure not going to be like my dad. That's exactly who you'll be like. You say, well then, what's the antidote to that? Uh, instead of focusing on what you're not going to do, focus on what the will of God is for you. When Jesus was tempted for the 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil said to him, uh, you know, uh, the devil knew he was hungry. I mean, really hungry. After 40 days and 40 nights, you'll eat almost anything, even your old shoe if you can cook it. Anyway, the Lord said, no. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to live on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He had an alternative goal. He didn't have to worry about what the devil was tempting him with. All he had to do was focus on what was the truth. Focus on what is the truth. I'm going to run a little bit of this back after you here. What is the sin that will send you to hell that we think we're just in holding on to it? Beg pardon? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Turn it over to the Lord. He'll work it out better than you could ever dream. And uh, then sometimes the grudges we hold, it 
you know, we focus on one person that is rotten. I remember years ago when I was a young sinner, and uh, not not a anyway, it was years ago. I'll let it go at that. And I'd start to pray because I'd begun to believe prayer worked. And this, as I would begin to pray and talk to the Lord, this fellow's image would begin to work its way across my mind's eye. And it just killed the prayer. It just absolutely killed it. Forgive. Somebody said, well, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Well, let's turn that around just a little bit. Never forget implies, hints at, still holding a grudge. But if you know that another person has a certain weakness, you know what their tendency is to be. If they are an addict, you know you can love them and forgive them, and you can trust them, but certain things you ain't going to trust them with till there's a change that you can see. There's a change that God tells you about. And uh, because uh, people don't sin because it's so much fun. They sin because they are the servant of sin. Jesus said that. The Greek word, and I'll get it here in a moment, maybe. Greek word means a slave. People get addicted. Mind changes occur. And they cannot not sin not cater to the addiction. So and rather than wanting to blast them for being so weak and selfish, which of course they are, they're under Satan's control, you need to lovingly start praying, Lord, heal them, set them free. Lord, make them over again. But uh, don't let them take up the offering in church. Anyway. And uh, that happens in more churches than you might think. Well, let me run this past you. And, and my wife, in love, because sometimes she sees me a little out of balance. And uh, in fact, there was a preacher we used to know up in the Northwest, and he was involved with the Seventh-day uh, Pentecostal movement, which isn't moving anymore. But his middle name was Garver. And this gentleman was... Uh, so self-centered, so carnal in so many ways that when I would repeat his name, instead of saying Garvin, I would say garbage. And she corrected me on it, and she did me a favor because I realized how carnal it was, how hateful it was. And, uh, 
And she does every once in a while catch me on things that seem out of balance, and I appreciate it. Um, sometimes I need some time to pray it through, think about it, understand it, see it in correct context, but uh, she does me a favor. So instead of blasting another person for where they are not yet victorious, just love them, whatever, con, uh, whatever criticism they made, realize the criticism usually reflects them more than it does you. When I was a young Christian, the people that I resented most were people that had habits that reminded me of habits and attitudes in my own life. Then I want to tackle that once saved, always saved doctrine. I believe in the security of the believer, but it is not unconditional. A Baptist deacon cannot go to Las Vegas and search out one of those houses of prostitution outside of town because, you know, he's once saved, always saved. It probably indicates he ain't even saved yet. If you're saved, you want to please the one that died for you. If you're saved, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If I'm important to you. The wife and I both recently, not realized, I didn't realize she'd seen it too, we saw a late night movie, and it was based on a true story, and it's a story about a gentleman that lived in the East, in a community, and he would commute, he would go to the station, catch the train every morning to ride to work, and then he'd come home on the train. And he had a dog that he'd had since it was a puppy. It might have been a, a, an Alaskan dog. Anyway, and they'd played together and they'd had times together and the dog just loved him. And when he would try to go to work in the morning, he would uh, try to keep the dog inside the fence. One day he just let the dog come with him. And, uh, and uh, the dog walked him to the station. He caught the train. And then uh, the dog would be waiting for him when he'd come home at night. And one day, and he was a professor, an instructor, and one day he had a heart attack in front of all of his students and he died. And he didn't come home that night, but the dog was waiting for him that night and the next night and the month after and the year after till the dog got so old and died that he finally died. And I thought, Lord, that's what our attitude ought to be for Jesus. Lord. The Bible teaches, or Jesus predicted, that when he would come, that people would want to hide in the rocks and caves from the Lord. But if you belong to him, you're going to say, Lord, Lord. I, I was thinking last week about one of the choruses we sang about uh, lifting your hands in worship. And you know what? Several things are said when you lift hands. The Bible says lift holy hands in prayer. One of the things that's said is, Lord, don't shoot. I give up. I quit. I stop fighting. And the other thing is said by little children, and we know that because a little grandson of ours, Nicholas, is with us five days a week. And when he wants to be held, picked up, comforted, loved, 
when he wants the hurt to be taken away because he just hurt himself. When he wants something to eat, he holds up his hands. And every child of God should be that way toward God. Lord, pick me up. Take the hurt away. Lord, first, <laughs> nourish me. I don't mean first, I mean nourish. Nourish me and comfort me, Lord. Salvation is not a religion. Religion is of the devil. You say, now wait a minute, Brother Dornberger, there's a passage in James which talks about true religion. Well, all right. But I know that Islam is a religion. Roman Catholicism is a religion that's different from the Bible. Uh, I know that there are voodoo religions and so forth. But what God offers is relationship. He loves us. He cares about us. He loves us when we're unclean. He loves us when we're hurting. He loves us when we're doing self-destructive things. The scripture will say in the gospel of John chapter 1 that Jesus was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Amen. You are born with a light that tells you good from evil. Psychologists working with babies have found babies as young as six and nine months old and they give several special tests to check them and babies at six months, seven, eight, nine months old already in these tests know that what's mean or ugly is wrong and they re repel it. And so take that little baby and because he's born with an Adamic spirit, when he's born with a spirit that says me, I want it. Do your babies ever say that to you? But I want it. Is there a baby that's never said that? I don't think so. And uh, anyway, so even with a little child, they're born with a conscience. They've already violated their conscience. Uh, they, you say, well, but they don't know all the doctrines of the church yet. Well, what they do know is they're hurting on the inside. And they need that to be cleansed, the hurt to be taken away. David said, Psalm 41, verse 4, God, heal my soul, I've sinned against you. Do you believe in child evangelism? I think Brother Josh, your little guy, believes in it. And uh, yeah, you say, yeah, but what if they go bad afterwards? Well, how many of you as a child accepted the Lord and didn't keep on keeping on for a while? Okay. Take the hurt away for a child. Child evangelism, sure. But uh, when they get tired of hurting and smelling bad and crying out, Lord, help me, then they're going to come back to the Lord and you'll be there to help them. So what have I said today? I've said you can be victorious if you'll meditate on the word of God night and day. You can be victorious if you can trust God to let go of hurts, of, of things that are unforgivable. Can you unforgive, forgive the unforgivable? It's easier to do it with others than it is yourself. But even the Lord can help there. And then uh, when somebody tells you what you know what you're not what you're not doing what you are just remember well yeah thank you I'll pray on that 
If there's anything about it I can do, I'll ask the Lord to fix me, change me, get rid of it. I'm free. I'm free. Jesus said that the devil was coming on the night of he was betrayed. And he said, and he finds nothing, he'll find nothing in me. There's nothing he can get a hold of. There's nothing that he can work on. You say, uh, the once saved, always saved. Well, it, they teach, they take one verse of scripture out of context of the whole New Testament, the verse that says, no man can pluck you out of my father's hand. And they run with that. And then they think they can live their old life instead of the new life God has for them. And then they can take, you're saved by grace and ignore the rest of it that says we're his workmanship. Context, context is important. Brother Ken said, uh, the Lord said, uh, you know, unforgiveness and holiness. And uh, if you're once saved, always saved, holiness might not be very necessary. But if you want to be like Jesus, you're going to become holy. If you are the temple that God wants to dwell in or Jesus Christ wants to live in, you're going to want that to be a holy temple. And if you are incapable doing 100% of your best of getting the place cleaned up like it needs to be, then turn to Jesus and, Lord, you do your housekeeping. It'll say in one place the Lord, what, inhabits the praises of his people. That word habit, in, inhabit means to keep house. When God keeps house, he puts his fingers on certain things that have to go. There's some things in the closet in the hallway, some old tennis shoes. You either have to fix them or get rid of them. Anyway, is the one here today that has never really made a complete surrender to God and asked the Lord to forgive them and fix them and change them and cleanse them and give them victory and and save them from bad habits of rotten, stinking attitudes. If your thinking is stinking, then you can ask the Lord to change it. That you can cleanse that other soul, you double-minded ones. Would there be one here today that would say, I want to be cleaner and closer, and I want to have victory, and I want to bruise Satan under my feet. I want to stomp on him and smear him. And uh, I want to I want to be what God wants me to be, so that He can use me. I'm going to settle with one final passage. I almost forget. Forgot. Second Chronicles chapter five verse seventeen says we're born again, or we are new creatures. And uh, some people have pointed out that the Greek word that's translated born again can mean begotten. And they've said that's all that it means, just begotten. You're only begotten now and be born again at the resurrection. But if you are begotten, you're already the child of God. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we right now should be called the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what, he, what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he is. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 23, 
it says uh, that he, Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, was made sin for us, though he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. They say that the, that the complex of nerves from the right eye connects to the left lobe of the brain, and the nerves from the left eye, the optic nerve, connect to the right hemisphere of the brain. And that bundle of nerves that does the connecting is called a C-R-U-X, or cross. At the cross, Jesus traded places with us. And that won't do you very one bit of good until you're willing to take his place. If you take his place, you become the righteousness of God. All of the positive things that are said about Jesus Christ apply to you now. But if you're going to take his place, you're going to have to continue his ministry. You're going to have to pray for people. You're going to have to love them. You're going to have to want to comfort them when you can. You say, well, I have limited resources. I do too. But uh, when my wife needed a new car, and uh, we just started praying for a new car, and the Lord provided a new car. That's about three, two and a half years ago or something. And I could recite some other things. I don't have any other personal resources that I can add, but I'm tied into one who runs a bank with unlimited resources. He has the resources. Anyway, if you are, if he's going to take your place, you got to take his place. A member of the body of Christ, and Jesus Christ is the head. And I quit, and if anybody wants to come to the altar and say, Lord, I've got some things I want changed, I want to be forgiven, I want to be made whole, I want to have victory, I want to smear Satan under my feet, that rattlesnake, I want to destroy him. I want to see God destroy him through me. In Jesus' name, would you like to have a time of prayer and uh, victory?